Welcome to Wifey Molotum, the podcast hosted by me, Roger Lopez-Bennett, a born dreamer. In this podcast, we feature young entrepreneurs who have founded their first startup before 30. Why? Well, because under 30, founders are rare and sometimes not taken seriously. But their stories are even more interesting than the rest. And before starting this episode, let me remind you that extra information about the speakers can be found on yfamil.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Welcome back to episode 2 of the interview with Professor Fisher. In this part, we'll talk about if young entrepreneurs can follow his path. Also, any failures he's had during his career in entrepreneurship and you know the major mistakes entrepreneurs make so yeah stick around and enjoy so would you do any of these ventures again uh you know if so why or or why not so no <laughs> no okay <laughs> here's why i have a background in, philo- in, in philosophy and one of the things in philosophy is you you, 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 know, you kind of learn yourself and when i first started buying real estate when i bought that first house it was really exciting And just like when you start a new business, it's exciting. But like with real estate, as I kept buying them, when you buy the second house and then the third house and then the fourth house and then the fifth house. And when I got up to the 18th house, you're just kind of like, eh, whatever. (laughs) It's diminishing returns. And so um, one of the reasons that I've had so many entrepreneurial ventures is because I'm curious, but I also get bored. And I've learned that about myself. So some of these businesses that I've had, you know, they'd probably still be successful. I could maybe even go back and knowing what I know now and making better decisions and make more money. Um, I don't know that I would want to do them anymore. Um, I just, uh, wouldn't, there wouldn't be a challenge. So I do yeah. get calls um, and emails from recruiters every so often, fewer than I used to, but still, I got one last week. Um, hey, would you like to come back to the lending industry and run our underwriting department? Can I do that? Yes. Is the pay pretty decent? Oh, probably more than I make now. Um, do I want to do that? Hell no. <laughs> wow. Why? Because there's no challenge. I would be doing the same thing kind of that I already know how to do. There, it, there's, there's, again, there's no challenge there. And so that's kind of part of almost going all the way back to your original question of like, where did it start? And this autonomy and being challenged and whatnot going back to businesses that I've already kind of mastered, probably, I, I personally wouldn't do that. I don't think because um, now with teaching, I've studied, I have a broad base of knowledge and skills to draw from. And if I were to go back and work and say lending again, well, then I wouldn't be able to apply some of my expertise in branding and some of my expertise in some of these other areas. And so I would have to, I would have to rely upon using a narrow skill set that I have mm-hmm. And going back to doing something that I've already kind of mastered. And so it wouldn't be as engaging. Now, if I was somehow unemployed and destitute, oh, of course I'd go do that. If yeah. it, you know, necessity dictated it. Mm-hmm. But given the given the choice with other opportunities, um, there would there most likely wouldn't be a challenge there. So the paycheck would have to be really, really the payoff would have to be really huge to really kind of compel me to come back and do some of that. Maybe, maybe I would invest in, in renovating some real estate again, okay. um, but I would do it on a much smaller scale than what I used to do it. I, I wouldn't be empire building anymore. What about starting something completely different, something completely new? Would it be exciting? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one of the things that I like about teaching. 
Um, it's also uh, things like I find like the, the whole industry of consulting work. You know, you can work on one project for a while. You can learn about the business. You can do apply some, you know, give them something and then go work on something different. Go learn about a different business, a different industry. Those are things I, I find uh, intellectually stimulating. Okay. And um, so, so that, that would be, that's, a, that's an area that I, I, I find cool. And, and same thing with, with teaching. You, you have classes that you definitely teach and you kind of keep up on new research and, and, and you learn new things. But if, you, if you're curious on some other area, well, cool, go investigate it. And maybe you can even teach a class in that too, or you could do a research in that area. So you have, the, you have freedom uh, to pursue curiosities that sometimes you don't have in other, in other areas. Okay. Um, before I had a house fire, I did have a point where I had built a decent sized real estate empire. I actually become pretty successful. I had a decent sized business, but I did get to the point where I felt like I had kind of conquered all the challenges that there were, that there was locally to be had. Like, what are you going to do next? What's the next big challenge, big thing. And when I lived in a relatively rural area, there came that point where I was kind of like, mm, there's not really much more. It's just kind of doing more of the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I will admit that I did, I, I felt a little trapped at one point um, because I had all these investment properties. And if I wanted to pick up and move, well, I'd have to sell 18 different properties. That takes a while. You can't just like, let's just pick up and move. You know, you, you, it, would, it would probably take a couple of years to get all this stuff ready to move um, and go do something else. And would you recommend young people to follow follow your path? For example, you know, buy houses and and rent the, the rooms inside of them, or or no way. So uh, in some markets, yes. Um, so can you do what I did in real estate in the San Francisco Bay Area? No, <laughs> the real estate's just too expensive. Okay. Um, but if you live in most of the other parts of, say, the United States. Um, you can do what I did. Um, I came from a, you know, a, 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 again, the reason I mentioned I, I, I don't come from a background with money. It's not like, it's not like I inherited all this money and I could go invest it. I had to build it. And so uh, real estate is one way that you can start out small, especially if you're in a more affordable market. So again, not Northern California, <laughs> the Bay Area in particular. Um, if you're in some other area, you can do that. You can buy a modest uh, house, you can go in and make it nicer. You can live in it for a while and you can sell it. You can do, you can do it on a smaller scale. Um, so that's definitely doable, but you have to be aware of, again, certain markets, you just can't pull that off. You know, could you do it in Manhattan? Probably not way too expensive. Could you do it in Seattle? Really difficult. Uh, can you do it in San Francisco, San Jose? No. Um, it, it's just, it, it's, it's more challenging to do it. Um, so it's not a sure thing. Um, but other areas, it's easier. So I was investing my real estate in Lan Lansing area, which was just outside of East Lansing. Why is East Lansing significant? Because that's where Michigan State University is. I specifically had focused in on a market that I understood and a clientele that I understood, which was students. And they're a captive market. Um, so, you know, yeah, they'll graduate, but that's fine. New students are coming in all the time and they need a place to live. And if you have places that are you know, relatively close and relatively nice, then they will rent them. So, you know, that, that was, that lowered the risk quite a bit um, yeah. for those. And, you know, sometimes in order to succeed, 
you need to be able to fail first in order to to be successful later, right? And this is why I'm doing this podcast. You know, also yeah. I I organized some events before, and also with wifemail.com and Business Royale as well. Yeah, I'm trying to change this mindset of oh, failure is bad, right? But yeah, and so have you experienced failure? And you know, if so, how have you dealt with it? So um, some businesses that I've had have definitely made more money than others. Um, my real estate, the, the mortgage brokerage and the real estate sales office I had was actually quite successful for a while. Um, but in 2006, the Michigan economy kind of started to collapse. Uh, General Motors was having, some, was having some significant difficulties. They started to idle some of their manufacturing plants. And um, I remember getting up in the morning and picking up the newspaper and hearing of different factories, laying people off, moving, moving operations. Um, in fact, there was one news story that still stands out because one of the, the, the tipping points when I decided to pick up and move out of Michigan was in one week we had General Motors had idled two plants, which was like 10,000 people put out of work. Um, and then Pfizer made a announcement that was in the Wall Street Journal and everything. They're like, globally, Pfizer has decided to lay off uh, something like 25,000 people. Oh, but 15,000 of them are coming out of their research center in Michigan. Uh, so globally 25,000, but 15 out of Michigan. So mm-hmm. it was like this one, two punch. Mm-hmm. And I had some clients at the time that were trying to get loans and they had worked at these general motors plants that were suddenly idle. They were suddenly out of work and poof, the deal was gone. Um, we couldn't, couldn't do a mortgage for them. And that had nothing to do with me or my business. And so that business was both successful and unsuccessful. And in that particular scenario, the reasons for its kind of unsuccessful, the, I don't like to use the word failure, but the, the yeah. non-successfulness of it had more to do with systemic issues. These were larger, these were not bad business decisions. They were, you know, they, they were not things I had control over. They were things that just happened <laughs> um, on a larger scale. And even when I had my wholesale bank that I started out in California here, we started that in early 2007 and late 2007 into 2008 is when the housing market really collapses. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't, it's just, these are larger issues that we didn't have control over. So I guess there's kind of two things here. Number one, and this is a challenge for entrepreneurs. To start up a new business and especially your first one, you do have to put a lot of yourself into building the business. But I think one of the biggest, um, and I I even don't like the word used error, but it is kind of an error. One of the errors that many, that some entrepreneurs or business owners make is that, yes, they have to put themselves into the business to get it going and and nurture it and grow it. But at the same time, they start to wrap their their sense of identity up with the business. And I sometimes call those people business owners and not necessarily entrepreneurs because sometimes they will make some foolish decisions about their business because they're like, because if the business fails, it means they're a failure. No, it doesn't actually mean that. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that the Michigan economy collapsed and General Motors idled plants and some of my clients worked at those General Motors plants who lost their jobs doesn't mean I was a failure. So you look at the, you look at a business as, Hey, some businesses I'm going to make money. I hope to make more money than less money. Mm-hmm. Um, if the business isn't making money, well, then you kind of look at it. And if you think there's a, you know, you maybe could make money in the future, then maybe you'll stick with it, but you shut it down. But businesses come and go. 
And I think that's one of the things that kind of differentiates a business owner from an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur kind of looks at it more like that kind of aloofness of like, I'll start this business up if we make some money, cool. And uh, if I ever get bored or I don't want to do it anymore, I'll sell it off or close it down and I'll go start another business. Like you. (laughs) Yeah, kind of like that. (laughs) Um, And so people's identity sometimes gets wrapped up in it and that that starts to make them make sometimes less than optimum decisions. Um, and so I think that's, uh, that's, that's one kind of a bit of a challenge there that, that many encounter. Yeah. So number, so, so number two, you look at any opportunity, any time that a business fails is you do treat it as you learn from it. What did I learn from this and how does this make me, um, better? I can look back on my businesses and, and, the mortgage brokerage that I had where I had all these employees, I can now look at, of course, now being a professor, I know more from studying some of these things. I can look back on certain things and go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or, oh, that was kind of a mistake. Or you can look back with a wisdom um, as long as you, you know, can, can kind of disassociate yourself from it. You just kind of go, okay, the business didn't work out or we needed to close that down. All right. What did I learn? How could I have made, how could I have done better? What could I have done differently? And you treat it as though, again, you kind of disassociate yourself from it. You just kind of go, mm-hmm. hey, the business was successful for a while, then suddenly it wasn't. Why wasn't it successful? Yeah. Oh, it was because of this. Or it was, oh, because of that. Oh, I, I couldn't have done anything about that. Okay, cool. Then learn about that and try to be more vigilant for that. So mm-hmm. you really do treat it as a, as a learning um, experience so that if you hypothetically did want to go back into that industry, maybe you wouldn't make the same mistakes. Yeah. And you take what knowledge you have and you can port that over into other industries and other ventures exactly it just makes you a a wiser individual this is kind of the next question that i had here but what's something that today's entrepreneurs are doing wrong and so do you want to stick to the same answer or do you want to add something else i think i would like to add something down because this is the one i I actually did look at this one and i i did a little thought of this but i think one of the biggest as we say kind of categorically that entrepreneurs do wrong um, and this actually is an this is, a, is something that, that extends beyond entrepreneurs, and I would extend this to most of business. Is that people believe in a mythology, and sometimes you do need to be believe in a mythology, but there's sometimes where it can be particularly harmful. So when I say mythology, I say things like um, sometimes I have students who worship certain business leaders. People treat Steve Jobs as though he was some sort of a god. Um, and, and sometimes Elon Musk, Elon Musk does some cool stuff as much as sometimes in the classroom, I'll pick on certain things he does. I mean, the guy made a flamethrower for Christ's sake. I wanted one. Yeah. And I don't know what I would do with it, but I mean, it was cool. Um, and so you, you want to, you know, recognize when, when entrepreneurs and business leaders do things well, but the problem is, is that humans have a tendency to want to think of things in almost like categorical terms, like, oh, you're good at this means you're good at everything. Um, so if LeBron James is good at basketball and I bet he's really good at hockey, no, he might not even know how to skate. <laughs> he might be terrible at that, but we call it, we, in psychology we call this the halo effect. If you're good at this, you must be good at something else as well. And, and so the second part of this is that oftentimes people, when they, when they want to start businesses, they, they look to others to gain knowledge and that's good. But they sometimes think that whatever that somebody else has done and because they were successful means that they did it right. Yeah. And that's the way it should be done. And that is oftentimes not true. Um, so I just mentioned like Steve Jobs, you know, visionary, sure. 
good manager. Ooh, careful on that one. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a jerk. <laughs> um, but again, give him praise, give him credit and praise for what he was good at. But sometimes entrepreneurs, um, they think that they have to do everything. I think that sometimes, uh, and, and this might be something, uh, I don't want to just categorize it as younger folks, but I do think it's probably a little more of a tendency. Why are you starting this business? What do, I want to make a lot of money. Ooh, that's a terrible, terrible reason to run a business. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, if that's your answer, you, you're probably gonna have a business that might make some money, but it probably isn't gonna be anywhere near as successful as it could be. Yeah. People are not inspired to work for you or want to be your client because you want to make more money. Um, so it's all about the mission. Like you must believe in what you're doing, right? Yeah, you do really need to to believe in what you're doing. Um, And I think you need to, I think what's important is, and this is kind of what I'm leading up to here with this, this mythology is things like people still, I I guess I'll pick on Elon a little bit more here. Uh, Elon Musk, you know, oh, Elon Musk just launched a new car. Did he launch that new car? No, somebody else designed it. Somebody else built it. Yeah, he's the, you know, he's in charge of the firm, but they erroneously like to attribute success or failure back to the owner of the business. And I think that's actually harmful. So, you know, hey, you know, if, you're, if your podcast is wildly successful, it's because you did it all. No, you because, deserve... Oh, <laughs> no, I mean, that. because of my guests too, you know. Exactly. Yeah. You got it, exactly. It's recognizing the contributions of others. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that many entrepreneurs make. And I think you can see this sometimes in things like Shark Tank, you know, famously Shark Tank, people will go on there and every once in a while, you can find somebody to go on there, they'll have a successful business and the sharks want to invest, but then the entrepreneurs don't want to give up any of the ownership. They don't want to take on the partner because they want it to be all theirs and be like, well, hold on a second. Part of the reason you bring these people on, yes, you're going to give up some equity, but you're going to get access to their network. You're going to get access. I mean, there's all these things that you can do to, to make the business huge. Do you want hundred percent of a business that's worth a hundred dollars? Or would you rather have 5% of a business that's worth a billion dollars? Mm-hmm. And there's a whole lot of people that are like, I'd rather have 100% of a business that's worth $100. Um, and so they think that they have to control everything, that somehow they lose that. And I think that's yeah. probably one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make is that they think it's all about them. Mm-hmm. And when they're first starting it out, they're getting it off the ground. It is all about them to kind of get it moving. But then after that, it's other people do some of the work. So who's, you know, if you're, again, just keep the theme consistent here. You know, if your Tesla is running awesome, is it because Elon Musk did a great, did a good job? No, it's the people on the assembly line and the engineers and all the other people, they did a good job. We're not saying that Elon Musk did nothing, but again, don't attribute all the success to him. Um, He deserves some, I'm not saying none, some, but I think that's I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make is that they uh, younger ones in particular is they think it has to be all about them all the time, and uh, I'm not saying that they're arrogant, but it's yeah. it's it, it, they're not able to start to understand that businesses have kind of different phases and cycles and and mm-hmm. and the early stages, yeah, it is you are doing most all of it. But, but later you, on, as you bring more people in, yeah. it's less about you. Yeah, and have you had any mentors? throughout your career or have you been your mentor yourself? Um, so 
Yeah, I know that a lot of people have do have mentors, and that's wonderful and great. But I, uh, my mentor was my own curiosity. Okay. So I wanted to learn how to do something new. I researched it, and I would read a lot, and you know, articles, books, whatever it is, I voraciously devour things so that I could know a lot, and then I would go to apply that. But I can't honestly say that I had a, a business mentor. I did have a mentor really kind of when I decided that I was going to become a professor. Um, but that, that's, that's not related to entrepreneurship. Yeah. <laughs> that was much later. Uh, but yeah, for entrepreneurship, it just, it wasn't, I, you know, was in, I, I'm from relatively ruralish, smaller town areas. There just wasn't, there wasn't people to do that. And my family wasn't from money or particularly entrepreneurial themselves. So I, I didn't really, I didn't really have that. So I had to be, uh, I had to make the mistakes on my own and I had to go ahead and, and do it on my own. But okay. I wish I had somebody else. I know that some people do, but uh, I just didn't. You think it's good to have one or, you know, it's, it's good to start it yourself. Um, I think it is good. Uh, it, it's, you know, to, to, you know, where does, you know, where do creative ideas come from? Where does innovation come from? It, you know, it rarely comes from one person, it usually comes from an environment and a context. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that, that having a mentor can help you, you know, talk through or see things that you might, could, could maybe prevent you from learning the hard way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that's one of the biggest ones. Um, you know, we would all love to think that we're all amazing at everything, but we're just not. There are certain things that we're good at and there are certain things that we're not good at. And when you have a, a mentor that even you can just kind of talk to and bounce ideas off of, or, you know, Hey, I got this problem employee. Like, how do I deal with that? Or, you know, what do I do? You know, that they, that's resources and wisdom that you can tap into. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I didn't have that. So I substituted that with books and articles. So I guess, I guess if you want to say, did I have a mentor? It was not the books, any huh? one person. <laughs> <laughs> It was all articles and reading and just really, you know, trying to think about, all right, what do I not know? Mm. I don't know that. Okay. How do I find out about that? These articles, these books, study that business. Okay. Study those and, and, and take that. And if you're not somebody who likes to, to, to read a lot and you're really curious and want to push your knowledge and then get a thrill from applying that new knowledge, then yeah, a mentor is probably really important. Uh, to helping you, you be an entrepreneur. Um, but if you do have that curiosity and that appetite, um, I was able to do pretty well um, without, without having one. But again, if you gave me the choice of, would you yeah. like to have a mentor or no? I'd be like, well, sure, of course not. I'd yeah. love, to talk, love to talk to somebody about some of this stuff, but mm -hmm. I, I didn't have. Yeah, so I kind of have a, one last question here. So yeah, what's, what's next in life? <laughs> Um, so, uh, I have found that, uh, I really do enjoy teaching. Uh, there's, as I said a little bit earlier, there's an autonomy in teaching that few other industries will offer. And probably the only other one I think that could give this kind of, that could, could indulge my own curiosity would be some type of consulting work. So most likely I will probably stay, um, in the realm of academia and teaching, maybe doing some speaking engagements maybe a little bit of consulting here and there. Um, but I've found that I, I, I think I've kind of found a really good spot. I, I, I like teaching, seem to be pretty decent at it. 
Um, and it's the one place that, you know, I can share things that I know, and I usually have an audience of people that are appreciative of it um, to get it. And so that's really rewarding because they'll oftentimes tell you like, hey, you taught me something that I, I recognize that I can use. Or you taught me something that could get ahead in my career. And that's really rewarding in a way that at this point in life, I value in a way that I probably would not have in my earlier years. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not enter teaching of having like this, you know, burning, you know, some people say, oh, I had this desire to teach from the gift. Yeah, that wasn't me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I came to it later. And, uh, you know, I, I will even joke about it that, hey, whenever I'm talking, there's this most beautiful sound. And the second I stop talking, that sound goes away. <laughs> um, so I get paid to do that. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I don't like the great papers. So, <laughs> but uh, I, I do, I do enjoy teaching, but um, um, I think probably what's next for me would be continuing to teach, but maybe a little bit of consulting work, but I, I, I won't say that I would never return to the private sector. Mm-hmm. I have had in the years that I've been teaching some students, um, some graduate students are like, Hey, would you ever be interested in this or interested in that? And I say, Hey, I'll, inv- you know, I'll, I'll uh, evaluate opportunities as they come around. So in making that statement of what I think is, is next seems like, oh, you're committed to teaching. I, I still keep the options yeah. open. And if a recruiter ever calls up, I always take the call okay. or, you know, at least, well, maybe not all, but you know, the idea that you always evaluate the opportunity. And if something attractive comes around that I think um, would be exhilarating and, 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 and fun and exciting, then, then I'll pursue it. So for now, I enjoy teaching and who knows, this may be what I do to the end of my days, but maybe not either. Um, I find that if I look back on my own professional history, I can only do the same thing for about two to two and a half years. And there better be a new challenge. Otherwise I get bored and I'll wanna go do something else. And um, so like I said, teaching allows me to uh, not get bored. Um, or at least academia is and, and, mm-hmm. and, and some degrees teaching, but academia is probably the better, better terminology for that. But, um, and research as yeah. well, right? You do research. Yeah, that's what I mean when I say re- academia. So, okay. so my bad, I should be more specific with that, but okay. yeah, like writing case studies. So yeah. I write case studies. And so why did I pick on Elon Musk a little bit? I wrote an award-winning case study on, on, on strategy and Tesla and the launch of the model three. I can talk for, I talk about Tesla for hours on the, on the model three launch. So I have a, a deep well of knowledge on that specific business and that specific event situation. And so getting to write case studies, I get to study different businesses and then turn them into content that I get to use in classes. And then students are like, these are amazing. And I'm like, really? Tell me some more about how amazing they are. Uh, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> um, and that, that, that's, again, it's, it's really kind of rewarding. So like right now I'm working on a couple of uh, case studies in their preliminary stages. I'm writing a case study on um, basically bidets, um, looking at the whole COVID-19 and people stocking up on toilet paper um, and panic buying. So I'm writing a case study about panic buying and why bidets were really never took off in the United States, but maybe now they will. Um, and so that's kind of like, a, a and then the company, uh, Tushy that, you know, a business that sells bidets. I've got a couple of other case studies on, uh, different businesses and different approaches. Um, I just wrote a case study on Peloton, which I just, uh, just had published. Um, so you get to, I, I get to, you know, indulge my curiosity in different businesses and turn it into teaching material that students usually, um, you know, they usually enjoy. And then they tell you, how much they enjoyed the case study and how much they learned from it. And, um, you know, that's getting feedback that you don't get in a lot of industries. Yeah. So 
There you go. Sorry, that was a really long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Well, um, you know, thanks for coming. Thanks okay. for coming to the podcast. It was it was a pleasure having you here. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, you. you're welcome. Okay, guys, let's talk seriously now. <laughs> we got to the end of the episode, and and as always, I'll let you listen to a snippet of the next one coming on Tuesday. I'll be honest. Listen, I'm one of those guys that likes money. Right? I love money. But the thing is here, when you think about when you think too much about money you can get stressed money can be can be either a positive thing or a very negative thing right yeah. um, I think the problem that is there why people love to start a business because they think of the outcome of making a, a shit ton of money and being rich and having the mansions the cars the roses the Lambos and all that I think comes a lot of it be, comes because of the media let's say or the way it is being portrayed uh, throughout the years right yeah um, and a lot of people think oh look at that guy he started the business when he was in his 20s now he's like 45 he rides a lambo but probably those first 20 years up to 40 he was driving a, a ford mm -hmm. right but probably in the last five years is where the success happened and now he's driving the lambo like you you never know that's a problem okay fam <laughs> yeah thanks for listening and i'll see you next time but before remember to subscribe follow us on spotify podcast youtube and yeah stay tuned see you next time